jump into the message for this morning. So I want to start by asking this question. Have you ever had any of your own words come back to haunt you? Have you ever said something before and then it just, it gets, either it comes back to your mind or other people feel the need to bring it up all the time? Uh, As we're preparing for a fishing trip that we go on every year, the fishing trip for us has been this time where things that were said on the fishing trip are supposed to stay on the fishing trip, but but they never do. They always find their way back into, you know, the reminders. They all always get brought up every single year. So a number of years ago, uh, the fellas were there and they were cutting down a tree and shared this story with some, but uh, as they were cutting down the tree, I had my opinion from the ground of how they should do it. And I shared my opinion, which they didn't really want. They had their own way of how they were going to do it. And it wasn't going all that well from my perspective. And so as I walked away, I'm like, fine, they don't want my advice. And it was, I was a little bit grumpy and I walked away and under my breath, I muttered, it's not rocket science, right? It's like, it's cutting a tree. It's not rocket science. Well, somebody heard that and felt the need to share that with everyone. And so uh, they shouting out, it's not rocket science. Well, that just uh, that that took a life of its own. You know, later on, we're sitting in a restaurant and I'm putting jam, spreading jam on my toast. And one of the guys comes over and is like, hey, do you, need, do you need help with that? Oh, never mind. It's not rocket science. And, you know, that has been like this, this phrase. I just like wish would die, but but it, it, it doesn't. It's those things that come back to haunt you. I remember when I was working as a youth pastor uh, for my brother-in-law, Wes DeVries, and one day he was telling me, he loves to read me, not so much, but he, uh, he had this book that he wanted me to read. And he says, Mark, oh, you got to read this book. And I, and I said to him, Wes, I mean, if I'm going to waste time reading, it's going to be the Bible. And uh, so what I meant was like, I'm, if I'm going to read, it's going to be the Bible. But what he took it is that even I think reading the Bible is a waste of time, which he felt the need to share with the whole congregation the following week and, and subsequent weeks after. And it's like, you know, these things are like, oh, you know, that's those, those words come back to haunt you. And then there's some things that I don't even dare share today. My wife might tell you, but things, I, dumb things that I've said that I just, you know, come back to haunt me. My question, I guess we, we probably all have some of those. Uh, but my question is, do you have words that have come back, your own words that have come back to help you? You know, this morning, I feel like that's kind of where, where I'm at, that, that a message, a series that I actually preached um, four years ago in 2016, it was a, it was a series that I had spoken. And I, I remember back then, as I looked through my notes, I really felt like this was something I was sharing for other people and to other people. And as I was brought back to those notes this, uh, this, over the past couple of weeks, it was just how Holy Spirit, as I just read even my own words, how Holy Spirit was pushing them into my heart saying, Mark, these are the things that are, are to you today. These are the things that, that you need to hear. Your own words coming back to help and encourage you today. And so I want to talk about that over the, maybe the next week or two. Just the thought of what it means to be adrift. Um, back, I don't know if, if you've ever been adrift in a boat before. Uh, I, I have, uh, it was back on the, one of those fishing trips. There's a young guy named Dan Murphy, and we had this idea between the two of us that we'd go fishing together. Neither one of us had a boat license, and neither of us had really, you know, ever kind of piloted a, a watercraft, you know, on our own before. But we thought, we, figured, we, we could do it. We've seen other people do it. So we hopped in a boat, and we pushed the boat out. And as we were pushing the boat around, I was about to start the motor in the deeper water, and I pull on the cord, and it comes right out of the motor. And I'm looking at him like, well, this isn't good. And we're laughing like, oh, well, you know, of course it's going to happen to us. But then we get caught in the current and the current begins to draw us down to the, to the, the portage or the rapids that lead down to the next lake. And that rapids, when the water's high, there's big rocks. And it's like, it's not one of those things you just want to kind of go, go floating down without any control. 
And so I'm like, Dan, Dan, you know, grab, grab the paddles, like paddle us to shore. And he's like, we didn't bring any. And I was like, okay, well throw out the anchor then. He's like, we didn't bring that either. I'm like, well, use the net or like use a bailing back. He's like, we don't have that. I'm like, what did we bring? He's like, nothing, just our fishing poles. I was like, okay. You know, so I turn around, I'm feverishly working on the motor. And, and then just as I've got it wrapped up, I'm about to pull the cord again. I hear splash. And I, I turn around, I look at the front of the boat. No, Dan, just a pile of Dan's clothes. And he had jumped overboard. And I was like, just like that punk, you know, he's going to swim to shore and save himself and leave me to go down here all by myself. And I'm like, Dan, what are you doing? He's like, I'm swimming us in. He's like, he'd grab the rope and he's going to pull us. And I'm like, Dan, you knucklehead. Like I've got the thing. And I pull the motor and starts and I'm going to run him over. And he grabs onto the front of the boat and we like find our way back in. And we walk up there realizing our little five minute escapade. We got maybe, you know, 50 yards away from camp as we walk back in. There's Dan soaking wet, carrying his clothes and us laughing about this whole thing. And in the end, all was well. But that's not always the case. I don't know if you read the news this week, but the Hamilton Police Department had to rescue some people who were adrift out in the lake. They were riding on one of these, these big pink flamingos. Uh, it was not meant for that, but they were four kilometers away away from uh, shore, uh, and there was three adults on board, and, and the police had rescued them and said, these things are not meant for this kind of, uh, this, these kinds of uh, bodies of water. Well, two days later, doesn't the police force have to go out and rescue another two people, uh, two women who are in another uh, floating dinghy out there, and the, the, the article just simply reads, another day, another floaty. You know, people find themselves adrift. And for those who know them, I'm sure, you know, their pride's going to be a little hurt and they're, 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 they're ending up in the news and, and that's kind of it. But that's all they're losing. You know, the, uh, there's more to lose, though. And it brings me to the story of Jim Honeycutt. Jim uh, Honeycutt was a guy who, 60 years ago, actually, this month, July 9th, 1960, decided to take two of the neighbor kids out on, a, on just a little boat ride out in the Niagara River. And as he was out there with them, he let the youngest, the, the young boy, have a try at the motor. And I believe he was about seven or eight years old. And as he was piloting the, the, uh, the little 12-foot motorboat, he ended up coming too close to the, the sandbar. And he hit like uh, the rocks and broke the shear pin on the, on the boat. And, and all of a sudden, the boat began to drift. And Jim, realizing that there was a this pretty strong current, grabbed the oars and began to to try and row the boat to safety, but realizing really quickly that his strength was nothing compared to the strength of that water. And Jim and his boat went over the falls that day. He lost his boat and he lost his life as a result of finding himself adrift. And I think, you know, maybe for you, you're like, well, I've never been adrift in a boat before. But the truth is that drifting leads to danger and potentially to death. And not just in the area of a boat, but in the many areas of our lives. And, you know, we can drift and find ourselves adrift in many different areas of our life. I want to look at a few of those today. For instance, friendships. Do you realize our friendships can, can drift? <laughs> you know, how many of you have friends that you're like, you know what? There's, there's people that I thought we were good buddies, but we haven't actually talked since COVID started. Our friendship has just sort of gone adrift as a result of COVID-19. I think COVID's killed more friendships and relationships than it's killed actual people. Just lives being affected as a result. You know, what about marriages? You know, any marriages that have drifted apart? You know, two people after the kids are gone, all of a sudden they're like, well, we don't have anything in common anymore. We don't hate each other, but, you know, we just feel like we've drifted apart. 
back in the day, I used to listen to country music, and there's a woman named Dina Carter, and she had this song called Strawberry Wine, and there's this line in there that says, you know, their relationship, we drifted apart like the leaves in the fall. It just sort of, they blew, blew away, and it's like that drift that happens in marriages. You know that most couples don't plan on drifting apart? That's not their plan that by the end of their marriage, oh, well, yeah, we drifted apart. But what, uh, what else also true? Most couples don't plan not to drift apart. They're not putting in any kind of effort and so that that doesn't happen. You know, financially, people can drift. I mean, it's just so simple. It's like, you know, retail, retail therapy to kind of make up for the COVID blues is let's, let's buy some stuff on Amazon. Obviously, because people can't go to the stores as, uh, as much online shopping has increased, but it's more than doubled as a result of, of this. And much of it is spending our new government checks to buy stuff that we don't really need. That's not really going to fill the void on the inside and not realizing that we're drifting financially into possible debt that we may not be able to recover from. What about morally? You know, we watch individuals and we watch even nations drift morally from standards that they once held to. What about life in general? You ever have that where just your sense of purpose it's like you wake up and you thought you kind of knew how life was going to go. And, and now you find yourself like just unsure of kind of everything. I'm reading in Acts through my uh, read through the New Testament right now. And so read through this life of Paul. Uh, it's just right now talking about how he was on a, on a ship that was being blown across the Adriatic Sea in a storm. And how the 276 people on board were just like they threw everything. They did everything they knew to do. And yet it just seemed like this, this boat just was continually pushed for, for two weeks, pushed in front of the storm. Nothing they could do. The feelings of helplessness setting in, the feelings of hopelessness. A feeling of just like abandoned ship. Let's just, let's just give up settling in on them. Why? Simply because they find themselves adrift. And then finally, I think the most important one to consider this morning is for the Jesus followers watching, what about your relationship with Christ? What about our relationship with Christ? You know, have you found that, that, that you may be adrift in that, in that relationship? And that's what I want to focus on this morning because drifting leads to danger and potentially to death in any of these scenarios. You know, the truth is, we don't always realize we're drifting. I don't know about you, but for me, I often look around at other people and, and subconsciously compare how I'm doing with how they're doing. You know, saying everybody seems like, hey, it's all okay, everything's, everything's fine. But this morning, you know, as, as I, I, I honestly believe that Holy Spirit is speaking to my heart through this series from a few years ago, my hope is that you would just listen for you this morning. That as, you know, as I shared it, that, that it would be things that you say, you know what, God, would you speak to, to my heart? If there's something in there, would you reveal it to me this morning? I know it's easy to listen for the people next to us. You know, maybe it's easy to listen for the person you're married to because you know them so well. But would you just listen for you this morning? You know, as we think about a guy named John, John was a Jesus follower. He was an eyewitness. He was there through the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the birth of the church, the death of all of the, <laughs> the rest of the, uh, the disciples. He, John's the last one standing, last man standing. It's about 65 years after Jesus has left the planet that John writes this letter. He's been exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Uh, he's, he's given a vision by Jesus with a message for the churches and, and the Jesus followers of that day. And he begins to pen all of this down. And we would know it as the book of Revelation. 
There's many of us, uh, many of our, our, our Kingsway people are actually doing a study, an intensive study, a one-year study of the book of Revelation. And, you know, it's at the beginning of it, John writes this message to the, to the churches, to the, the gatherings of Jesus' followers all over the, the known world. And he begins with the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus is a real place. I mean, here's a picture of Ephesus in modern day. But this place was like this massive epicenter of, of commerce, but also of, of faith and Christianity. There was a church started there by Paul 40 years earlier. And Timothy pastored there. John, the guy writing the message, he had actually been there as well. Um, Paul had spent two years teaching there. Uh, and the gospel would just spread from this church in Ephesus. And, and many of you know there's the letter to the Ephesians that you can read in your own New Testament. Um, people, some people were opposed to it, but this was a healthy, life-giving, growing church. And John's writing to them 40 years later with a message to this church. And it's not John's message to them. It's actually the words of Jesus to them. And what, as I think about that, I'm like, what would the words of Jesus be to Kingsway? What, what would Jesus' words be to me personally? Well, here's what, he, here's what he writes. And it's interesting because he writes this letter, Jesus' words to the seven churches. Well, they all get to read it. It'd be like me sending a letter to Pete in the back sound booth and then sending it through Lily and Gary first. So, you know, they get to read what I have to say to Pete and they get to see the performance reviews of the other, uh, of the other groups. And here's what he says in Revelation 2, verse 2 to 3. And if you've been around faith for any amount of time, these are not going to be new verses to you. You're going to have heard them before. You may have even heard us speak on them before. He says this, Revelation 2, verse 2. He says, I know your works. I know the way you conduct your life is what he's saying. I know your labor. I know the efforts that you put in. I know your patience. I know you can't bear those who are evil. I know that you're committed to purity. He says, I know you've tested those who say that they're apostles and are not and have found them liars. He says, I know you're committed to truth. And he says, and you've persevered, which we talked about last week. And he says, and you have patience and you've labored for my namesake and you have not become weary. <laughs> it's like this glowing performance review of this, of this church, this gathering of people. He says, you, you know, it got tough, but you didn't give up. You know, when, when everything around was going wrong, you stood up for what was right. I think these are the words of Jesus to them. I think, man, it's pretty incredible. He says, you're doing all the right things. And then there's this big but. You know, between verse 3 and 4, there's this word called nevertheless, or in other translations, it simply says, but I have this one thing against you. You have left your first love. Jesus simply saying to them, you're doing all these good things. You're, 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 you're being a healthy, life-giving church, but something's missing. Something's missing and you don't even realize it. You're drifting and you don't even realize it. You think everything's going all right. And he says, you know, you've left the first love. And it's not this first thing of, oh, that was the first, my, the first thing I fell in love with. He's saying, you've left the most important thing. You've drifted away from what was most important. You're doing lots of good things, but there's a most important. And if you drift away from that, all of the rest doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It makes no, it makes no sense. It doesn't, it doesn't have any value. You know, the idea of us, uh, you know, I'm, I'm reading through the scripture so I can check off the box. Or, you know, I said my prayers today so I can check off the box. I went to a house party so I can say, yep, I did my Sunday morning Christian thing. <laughs> I helped my neighbor. I did whatever. He's like, none of that matters if you're missing this thing. Those are some really strong words for, I think, for, for, for myself to hear, for others to hear. You know, Stephen Covey said it this way, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. Why do you say that with me? I know it sounds weird all over speaking to your screen, but would you just hear your own voice say that for a minute? Say the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. 
And for all of those out there who I know never respond in the building, and you probably didn't say it to your television or uh, while you're driving in your car in the podcast listening to it, would you, just, would you just say it for me? Would you just simply say the main thing is to keep the main thing the... Thank you, Lily. You know that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And I don't think Stephen Covey was writing this about, about Revelation chapter you know, 2, verse 4. But, but man, if there was a main thing to keep the main thing, the main thing, it, it's this. To the Jesus followers, it's this. Because you can be drifting even though you're doing good things. And you know the church of Laodicea was found in that place. Um, Jesus wrote to them, and, and the church of Laodicea was famous for its temples and and, uh, but its church as well um, was, was rich, and they were doing lots of good things. And you know what he says to them? He says, you think you're rich. You think you don't need anything. You think you've got this thing figured out. But he says, but what you don't realize. He says, you think this, but you don't realize that you're actually sick. You're actually poor. In the things that matter, you're, you're actually not where you think you are. He says, you're adrift. You're adrift. You don't even realize it, but you're drifting. You know, I think if it could happen to churches back then, it can happen to the gatherings of Jesus followers today. It can happen to individuals like you and me. And what does Jesus say to them in Revelation 2, verse 5? He says, here's his encouragement. He says, so if you're the ones adrift, remember. He says, remember, therefore, from where you came or from where you've fallen. Repent, he says, and do the first works. So he says, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. I just want you to take a look at those three words in yellow and just, just, uh, just remember them. The first one's easy because it's remember. But here's what he says to them. He says, if you find yourself adrift, there's, there's some things that you need to consider and need to, to think about. And he says, number one, remember. He's remember. It's like, call back to mind. Think back. And what does he say to remember? Remember from where you've fallen. Remember where you used to be. The idea that there is a, a, a current you compared to previous you. You know, we can do that in lots of different ways. For instance, I can do that right now with my, um, with my tan lines. It's a good thing to have tan lines, by the way. So here, you know, this is right here. This is previous me. I mean, look at these pipes, right? But this previous me, and this is current me. And there's a definite difference. If I took my shirt off, my kids always make fun of me. They're like, Dad, you still got a white T-shirt on, right? Because it's so, it's so distinct. But there's this difference, this noticeable difference. And, and that's my question for each of us to consider today. Is there a noticeable difference in our spirituality that there's where, where I was a year ago or, or a week ago or, or 10 years ago to where I am now? And is that difference positive? Am I more passionate about Jesus? Am I more connected to Jesus? Am I, am I more um, connected to the main thing than I was back then? Or have I drifted? You know, we have lots of different ways. You can be the way scale, before and after pictures, looking back at your yearbook, whatever, whatever analogy you want to use. But spiritually, is there something you can look back at and say, huh, is there a noticeable difference? And we simply call that awareness. Just this morning, having that awareness and allowing Holy Spirit to, to translate that into your individual s- scenario. And he says, if you are, if you find yourself there, you know, remember, but he says, and then repent. And repent's not like this hellfire brimstone, return or burn type thing. It's it's this word called metaneo, and it just simply means just change your mind. You know, you've thought that life this way was the, the kind of the, the way to live, or he says it's simply changing your mind and realizing, okay, there, there's a main thing that, that I may have drifted from. I need, to get my, I need to get back to the main thing. And that's what repentance is. It's like if you're going this way, the way that you turn from this is just simply by turning to this. I can't look that way while I'm looking this way. 
And so for a lot of times we think, oh, repent is like, we got to change all the things on that side. He's like, it's really, it's simple. He says, simple, but it's not easy. The simplicity is that I'm going to turn from looking that way to look a different way. And it's that same thought he calls us spiritually to say, you know, all the things that we look at, we think are important. He says, if those have taken our eyes off of the main thing to once again, get our eyes on the main thing. And he simply says, do, do the first works, which we just use the word repeat. You know, it says, remember, repent and repeat. Do the, do the things that, that you did at first. Because the truth is it takes no effort to drift. It really doesn't. We, we, we just simply drift because we don't put any effort in. Here's the thought, you know, um, Henry Thoreau said it this way, the path of least resistance is what leads to crooked rivers and to crooked men. If you just kind of do your life without any kind of resistance, any kind of effort, everything just goes crooked. It doesn't go straighter. You know, with your marriage, if you just sort of like, eh, we're just kind of just going through marriage without the, putting the effort into um, the prioritizing of it, it's going to get crooked. Financially, it doesn't take any effort to find yourself in debt. You just, like, you just don't uh, keep track of your finances. You just don't do anything with it, and you'll end up messed up. You know, it's just the way life goes. Uh, <laughs> we find ourselves drifting. That's the easy part. That's the easy part. And the problem is that truth, that drifting leads to danger and potentially to death. It's worth us considering. And so, to be honest, for me, as I've been wrestling through this kind of myself and what the Lord's been speaking to my heart through this is that, for me, the drift is that I rely on my own strength far too often. That you can do good things, and yet you do them out of your own strength. You know, pastoring, parenting, being a husband, working, whatever it is, just simply just making decisions in life, just relying just on my own experience or gifting or whatever it may be. Do you know the problem with running on your own strength is that our own strength wears out, and we run out, and that is a sucky feeling. You know, last week when I talked about perseverance and the feelings of quitting, <laughs> that wasn't about card games, and that wasn't just for everyone else out there. It's a very real feelings in my own life. And, you know, him bringing me back to the place, using my own words to get me there, is to realize that the main thing, drifting from the main thing, You know, when we think about Christianity and what it really is, it's not a title and it's not something we aspire to. Christianity is not something we do for God. It's not what we do for God at all. Christianity was designed about what we would do with God as a result of what he did for us. Not that we would be trying to do stuff for him. And, you know, that's where that subtle drift is, that we get caught up in all of these good things that are just distractions from actually doing things with him. And there's lots of reasons why we do it. I, I don't want to get into all of that this morning, but they're different for each of us. But today, just to simply look at that thought, have I drifted away from doing life with Jesus? You know, I look at the story of Gideon from earlier, Gideon's 300 men. Why do you think God made Gideon pare down his army of 32,000 when he was facing an army of millions not to just, they were outnumbered at the start. But what does he do? He pairs it down to 300. Why? Because there would be no doubt that God was in it. There was no doubt. Nobody's going to say afterwards, wow, look at what Gideon did. You know, he like, he found some flashlights and some Tupperware out of grandma's cupboard and look what he did to the whole other army. That Gideon, he's something else. 
Now, God took a man named Gideon who was focused on his own strength. When he looked at it and, when, and his lack thereof, and he said, you know, like, I'm the least, I'm the least, I can't do this. And God's like, Gideon, I'm not telling you to do this on your own. I am going to be with you and I'll prove it to you. And no one will have any doubt that it was me at work in you and with you. And sure enough, they defeat this army. Why? Because God was, because Gideon was connected to God, the Almighty. It's what our kids' lesson is about this week. He's almighty, all-powerful. When you're tapped into his strength, it never runs out. The problem is we drift from that. You know, and so Jesus' final teaching to his disciples, right before he was crucified, as he's walking on the road to, uh, to the garden where he will be betrayed and crucified that night, he shares these words with them. And John, once again, John was there. He writes it down for us. John 15, verse 5. He says, yes, I'm the vine. You are the branches. Last night, as I was sharing this with our outdoor service, I, had to, uh, I was sitting under a tree, and I realized, you know, we got a perfect prop hanging right above me. And so... So I just grabbed one, you know. <laughs> he, says, uh, he says to him, you're the, you're the branches. He's like, I'm the vine, you're, you're the branches. He says, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do, what's that word? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Can I, you know, if you look at this branch, I don't know how zoomed in it can get on this branch, but, you know, you can, you can see this branch, it still looks alive. You know, if I were just to show this to you and had it in a pot and I had stuck it in there, you might look at it and go, wow, that thing looks like it's alive. But how many of you know that it's dead? We may not see it yet, but it is dead simply because it is disconnected. It might cruise along for a little while and still look green, but a few days from now, all signs of life will be gone. But that's not when it died. It died the minute it disconnected. You know, and that's the thought that Jesus is saying. He's like, apart from me, not connected to me. You can do nothing, nothing of value, nothing that's actually fruit. You do stuff, but it's just leaves that are dead. That's what he's saying to to the Jesus followers, and and what a warning it is for us. He says to his disciples that morning or that evening, verse 6, he says, Anyone who doesn't remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. And it's not like a a reference he's saying, oh, this is about hell or anything like that. it's, It's simply this thing of saying, you know, disconnected from me, no matter what you're doing, you're going to wither. You're going to wither on the inside. You know, marriages that, that get disconnected from the main thing, they wither. You know, financially withering, friendships withering, purpose withering, everything withers. And he says, and spiritually, if you're not connected to Jesus, you wither. Can I clarify that? He's like, not if you're, con-, he says, if you're not connected to Kingsway, you'll wither. If you're not connected to a church somewhere, you'll wither. If you're not connected to just, you know, a Bible reading plan, you'll wither. If you're not connected to the routines of Christianity, you'll wither. He's like, no, if you're not connected to me, you'll wither. You'll wither. And life will feel and be fruitless. And you know, for many of us, it's just simply the distractions that cause us to go adrift. I think about that. I look at Gideon. You know, Gideon had to say no to a lot of good men in order to do what God had called him to do. He simply had to say no to a lot of good people to say, listen, I've got to do what this is what God has called me to do. You guys got to go home. You know, with um, Paul, he said no to a lot of good opportunities for the gospel. I can go preach here. They want me to come here and preach. I can go there and preach. And he had to say no to those things in order to do what God had called him to do. And you know, I look at Jesus, our, (laughs) our highest and greatest example of living um, in community with his heavenly father, he simply said no to everything that wasn't initiated by his heavenly father. He said, I don't, I don't do anything unless I see my father doing it. I don't say anything unless he tells me to say it. 
And that's what he's saying to his disciples, that I would, I'm in my Father and he's in me. I'm in you and you're in me. Let that be the relationship that it is, that it's all lived out of this relationship of the two of us. You know, what are you saying yes to that you should be saying no to? You know, that, that pink flamingo that went sailing by, there was three people on it. One of them probably had the idea saying, hey, why don't we hop out on the flamingo in the lake? And two people said yes to that. And by saying yes to it, it caused them to be adrift. What flamingos are you saying yes to that you should be saying no to? Revelation 2 verse 7, we close this morning, says this. You know, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. It's my heart this morning, just that for me, I, I might be speaking to a camera, but I'm, I, it's fitting that this is an empty room because I'm the one who most needs to hear it. Anyone, he says, if you've got ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, he's like, anyone who has ears to hear, let them hear. You know, it might not be for anyone out there today. That's possible. It might just be for me, but maybe it is for someone. And today the reminder is like this. It's a reminder to just come back from where you may have drifted in whatever area of life it is. You know, when I'm driving truck, you know, there's the, uh, the rumble strips on the side of the road. You know, you hit those. Like, <laughs> what are those things for? They're a reminder that you are not on the road anymore. And maybe this morning, as this may have felt uncomfortable or it's felt like that rumble strip on the inside of you, that that's simply a loving reminder, not from me, but from Holy Spirit to say, you're not on the road anymore. You think you are, but you've drifted. And I want to bring you back to where you need to be. So let's close with this, because I think the question this morning isn't, hey, what am I going to do right now? But simply to ask ourselves this question and answer it for ourselves. Am I drifting in any area of my life? Am I drifting in any area of my life? Because awareness is step one. Once we realize that, that is a step to, to, the, to where he desires for us to be. And I believe that he says he'll lead the steps of righteous men, that he will lead us to where we find ourselves back in that place. So real quick, just a quick checklist of the things we started with this morning to, to, where, to, uh, to just ask ourselves this question. I'm not going to ask you as a camera. I'm going to simply ask me, and I'd encourage you to ask yourself along with me. But friendship... Are there people in my life that I considered friends who I have not initiated contact with since COVID started? Am I adrift? You know, in marriage, am I only talking with my spouse about the surface stuff? Do we just, you know, are our social lives completely separate? Are we actually putting effort in? Not work, not hard work. Marriage is not hard work. It's, it's that idea of effort, intentional effort of spending time together. You know, are we still planning dates together? Are we still connecting with one another on a real heart-to-heart level? Are we sharing our secrets with one another? Or are we adrift? Financially, am I tracking my spending? Do I have a spending plan? Or am I retail medicating? Am I, am I clicking online, buying stuff that I don't really need that's actually causing me to drift into a place I might not be able to recover from? What about morally? Am I saying yes to things today that a year ago I would have said no to? Am I saying yes to things that I watch or, or people that I, that I interact with or places that I go that I would have said, you know, I would have said no to those things, you know, years ago. My previous me would have said no to those things. Am I drifting morally? What about life? Do I feel like I'm living on my mission and the purpose that he has for me today? Or do I feel like my life is just one big distraction? And finally, relationship with Christ. As a Jesus follower, am I truly doing life with Christ? Am I truly doing my life with Christ? Do I study his word to know him more or just to know more 
knowledge about Scripture? Do I prayerfully consider his direction for my decisions in life, or do I just simply make decisions? Am I going through religious motions of these are services that I do or services that I attend or services that I watch rather than loving connection with the God, the Savior, the friend, the Master? Has it become just routine? Am I relying on my own strength when I need to be relying on his? Is there any possibility that I am adrift? I think it's a question we deserve to answer for ourselves. You know why I think Holy Spirit brings that to us? It's not this guilt-motivated thing, but simply a loving Savior who says, I want to make you aware because I know that drifting leads to danger and potentially to death, and I love you far too much to allow that to happen. To be honest, I'm really grateful for what he's doing in my life right now. It hurts. It's not, it's, it's not a lot of fun. It's not, that kind of awareness is not a, great, it's not a great experience to go through. And yet I know that the end of it, I would rather this than that we miss this completely and end up just somewhere completely adrift. So this morning, maybe you're here and you're not a Jesus follower. And that's just kind of come to your awareness right now. Do you know the thing is that there's no effort that you can do that's going to make that happen? There's no things that you can say, well, I'm going to try and be a better person. I'm going to try and do more religious type things. I want to feel better about that. Jesus simply said, the only way is to trust me. And trust involves relationship and connection. And he says, simply, your life is just to be connected to me, open to me, your heart wide open to me, that what I reveal in here, what I, what I do in there for your good is that you would follow that out as you follow me. My prayer this morning is that Maybe even this morning, we may find people who simply became actual Jesus followers as a result of what happened this morning. And my other prayer this morning is that for each and every one of us who has been revealed that we're adrift, that we'd follow his lead to safety. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for, for your words, that they are living and powerful. That's something written 2,000 years ago. And it comes back to, to um, inspire and actually change. Father, thank you for the words spoken four years ago that were your words back then that come back to affect my life today. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you're not done with us, that the work that you've started in us, you keep on working in us. I pray for every person watching alone or in a house party today, that as they just allow this to settle in their own hearts, God, that you would do in us what needs to be done that you would do in us that need, what needs to be done that draws us back to the place of you being, you being the main thing. There's so many distractions that just try and draw us away. We can try and focus on all of those, Lord, but help us get our eyes on you and you alone. Father, I pray that as a result of today, the little changes that people make in this regard today, that that might bear fruit in their marriages, in their finances, in their friendships, in their purpose for life, and in their life with you. God, may we be alive. May we be alive because we're connected to you. Thank you for that. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.